The staff cars are pulled up by the Coast Guard cottages close to the cliff edge. A steady drizzle is falling and visibility is poor. A cluster of officers stand in glistening greatcoats, binoculars raised, tracking the movements on the beach below. Bloody mess as usual, says the brigadier. Well, better than last time, says Parrish. At least they found the beach. Seven assault landing craft are rolling in the grey water of the bay, as men of the Canadian 8th Infantry Brigade flounder ashore. Each man wears an inflated May West and carries a rifle and a full battle pack. They move slowly through the water, blurred by rain, like dreamers who stride ever onward but never advance. The watchers on the clifftop command a view that is almost parodic in its Englishness. A river winds through green meadows to a shingle beach, framed by a line of receding humpbacked white cliffs. They are known as the Seven Sisters. Today, barely two of the Seven Sisters are visible. The beach is defended by concrete anti-tank blocks, scaffolding tubes, and long rolls of barbed wire. Small thunder flashes explode among the pebbles at random and to no obvious purpose. The popping sounds rise up to the officers with the binoculars. One of the landing craft has cut its engine out in deep water. The tiny figures of the men on board can be seen jumping one by one from the ramp. Parrish reads the craft's identifying number through his binoculars. ALC-85, why is it stopped? It's sunk, says Colonel Jevons, who devised the exercise. Further out than I intended, still they should all float. Couple of six-inch howitzers up here, says the brigadier, and not a man would make it ashore alive. Ah, but the advance raiding party has cut your throat, says Jevons. Let's hope, says the brigadier. Behind the staff officers, the two ATS drivers are seeking shelter at the back of the signals truck. The signal sergeant, Bill Carrier, finds himself in the unfamiliar situation of being outnumbered by women. If a few other lads from his unit were with him, he'd know how to banter with these English girls. But on his own like this, unsure of his ground, he's feeling shy. Look at it, says the pretty one. June, you've got to admit it's a joke. She laughs and wriggles her whole body as if the absurdity of the world has taken possession of her. She has curly brown hair almost touching her collar, and brown eyes with strong eyebrows and a wide, smiling mouth. Don't mind Kitty, says the other one, who's blonde and what is called handsome, meaning her features are a little too prominent, her frame a little too large. She speaks through barely parted lips in the amused tones of the upper classes. Kitty's perfectly mad. Mad as a current bun, says Kitty. The rain intensifies. The two drivers in their brown uniforms huddle under the shelter of the truck's raised back. Christ, I could murder a cup of tea, says the blonde one. How much longer, oh Lord. Louisa was going to be a nun, says Kitty. She's tremendously holy. Like hell, says Louisa. Sorry, says the sergeant. We're still on action stations. Only an exercise, says Kitty. My whole life's only an exercise, says Louisa. When do we get to the real thing? I'm with you there, says the sergeant. Me and the lads are going nuts. He answers Louisa, but his eyes are on Kitty.
All you canucks want to do is fight, says Kitty, smiling for him. That's what we come over for, says the sergeant, two bloody years ago now. Ah, but you see, says Kitty, pretending seriousness, trying not to laugh. That's not what Louisa's talking about at all. She's talking about getting married. Kitty! Louisa pummels her friend, making her crouch over, laughing. You are such a telltale. Nothing wrong with wanting to get married, says the sergeant. I want to get married myself. There, says Kitty to Louisa. You can marry the sergeant and go and live in Canada and have strings of healthy, bouncing Canadian babies. I've got a girl in Winnipeg, says the sergeant. He thinks how he'd ditch her in a flash for Kitty, but not for Louisa.